Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Man, if Jesus is alive, that changes everything, doesn't it? Matthew 28, verse 1 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Look at your neighbor if you could and just say, just as he said. Just as he said. God does what he says he's going to do. Can somebody say amen? amen? Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. I love this about God. He is a God who always goes ahead of you. He always goes before you. That's why you can have confidence in tomorrow because he's, he's already been there. Come on, that's why you can have confidence in your next moment because he's already been there. Are you thankful today for a God who has already been where you are going and has prepared the place? He said, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I think those words right there kind of fill us in on not only how they felt, but how we felt over the past year and a half afraid, but somehow we're still full of joy. And the Bible says they heard him say greetings. Jesus actually shows up to them and he says greetings. And they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for all of those who have gathered with us in the room and online. We're so grateful. Today, we've already seen people give their life to Jesus because today is the day of salvation. And so we're asking that as this word goes forth, not only would it challenge, encourage, and change us as followers of Jesus, but I'm praying today that people would make a decision to follow Jesus, that they would recognize their need for a savior, and they would give their heart and life to God, even in this room and online. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. I already said it, but let's say it again. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything everything if he has risen just as he said he would then that means that there's not a person in this room or watching me today that has the luxury of remaining neutral on Jesus you have to make a decision about Jesus because either Jesus is the craziest person who ever lived or he is exactly who he said he is, and he did exactly what he said he would do. And for me, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. He rose from the dead. So we cannot remain neutral on Jesus. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Even Abraham and Moses are dead. And most of these people, you can actually go to the place 
where they are buried. You can have an encounter with their remains. But if you go to find where Jesus was buried, even people in the city will tell you there are many different places that they assume Jesus was buried at. And the reason they lost the tomb of Jesus, the reason it's not They're not really quite sure where the tomb of Jesus, the reason they argue over which place is the tomb of Jesus is because the tomb is inconsequential to our faith. It's empty. I can show you where Muhammad's buried. I can show you where Buddha's tooth is. I can show you where, I can show you where where Abraham, but I can't show you where Jesus' tomb is because he isn't there anymore. Jesus rose from the dead and if he rose from the dead then how I feel about his teachings how I feel about his commands how I feel about his way of life how I even feel about him it doesn't matter because if he rose from the dead he is God and he is God all by himself so my only option is to surrender my only option is to give him my life my only option is to obey and in faith confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because if you don't confess it in this life I promise you you're going to get on your knees with the rest of everybody in heaven and earth and bow your knee and say Jesus is Lord I'd rather go ahead and say it on this side than on that side Revelation 1 and 18 says that Jesus is alive forevermore. So if Jesus is alive, I don't, I don't get to say, well, I like his teachings, but I don't like this. Or I like this about Christianity, but I like this about Buddhism. And I like this about Islam. And I like this about, you, you don't get to do that. Because if he rose from the dead, then all other gods are false gods. <laughs> so today, if you're searching Can I tell you, if Jesus rose, and we believe he rose, your search is over. Your search is over. Your king has come. He has died. And he has risen from the dead. And if Jesus rose, not only is my search over, but that means that God is a promise keeper. The angel said he has risen from the dead just like he said he would. That means that when God says he's going to do something, God does what he says he's going to do. I don't know about you, man, but that gives me so much hope and confidence today that the God I serve doesn't just make promises. He keeps promises. Come on. I met met a lot of people in my life who have made me promises, but very few people keep all of their promises. You serve a God who keeps promises. All of his promises. The Bible says in Christ, all of God's promises are yes, and our response is amen. Is there anybody in the room today who just wants to say amen to all of God's promises? The word amen just means let it be. Let it be. Let it be unto me. God, whatever you promised, whatever you said you would do, I believe you can do it. Let it be in my life. So that means something very important to our walk with God. It's something very important to those who haven't even made a decision about God. Salvation doesn't hinge on a promise I can keep. Salvation doesn't hinge on a law I can keep. Salvation depends on a promise that God has made that God himself cannot break. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. This is good news because I've heard people say they've mocked the sinner's prayer and said, you can't just pray a prayer and be saved. You obviously didn't read the Bible because the Bible says that salvation is made by confession. I confess that he is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And God's promise and commitment to me is that he will save me. This is good news because I don't have to save myself. I don't have to redeem myself. I don't have to do this work. All I have to do is trust and believe that God keeps his promises. And if Jesus rose from the dead one day, I will rise again. Is there anybody in the room grateful that because Jesus is alive, that promise is true? So Jesus raising from the dead changes everything. Here's the thing about death. Sin is what gives death its power. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 say the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think Think about that for just a second. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. So sin gives death its power. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus, not only was Jesus God, but Jesus did something for us that we could not do for ourselves in that Jesus lived a sinless life. And the power that Jesus had to rise from the dead was not just a power that was connected to him being God. It was a power that was connected to him being sinless because if there was sin, death has victory. But because he was sinless, he won the victory over death. So to God, death is like a bee without a stinger. It's threatening and it buzzes at you, but it can't really destroy you because you can't kill what doesn't die. This is why when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus never ran around like he was like he was a chicken with his head cut off. He never ran around in a rush and, and he never seemed like he was trying to get somewhere quickly and he never felt like people were an interruption to him because, because when you don't have an expiration date, you don't rush through life. I need you to understand that even though there is a pointed unto man once to die, and after this, though, the Bible says the resurrection. So in reality, this body might have an expiration date, but my spirit never dies. And so when you think about death, you have to live in the proper perspective that Jesus put death in. It's a bee without a stinger. That's why it says, oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's been swallowed up in Jesus Christ. So imagine living life like you don't expire. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus lived this way. That's why he wasn't rushed, because when you don't have an expiration date, you don't rush. Have you ever had milk that's getting ready to go bad in your refrigerator? And you're like, everybody eat some cereal. Everybody, we're having cereal for dinner tonight. I don't know, has anybody ever been that broke where you're like, you're drinking all of this milk? The turkey's getting ready to expire, and you're like, turkey sandwiches for days. Like, it's it's just turkey sandwiches until you you can't stand turkey sandwiches This cheese is getting ready to go bad. And you're rushing through it. Why? Because there's an expiration date. When you realize death can't kill what doesn't die, you live life with a different perspective. That's why Jesus wasn't in a hurry. That's why why you don't have to rush 
through this life. Because when you have resurrection life, you don't, you don't even, it's why, that's why, that's why when Jesus' friend Lazarus, Lazarus got sick and he died and they sent word to Jesus and they said, Jesus, he's, he's dead. And Jesus says, I'm just gonna hang out here for a couple more days. Because when you have resurrection power, when you know that your, your victory is secure in Christ, it doesn't matter if, 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 you, if you take your last breath at 12, it doesn't matter if you take your last breath at 25, 35, 45, 55. It, it, when, when you understand that even though I might, 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 might pass away at a certain age, I don't really die because I live forever with him. You live a different type of life when you don't have an expiration date. This is important for us to understand. And so when I, when I think like that, when I see my life like that, then I can live my life from my salvation and not try to live my life for salvation. I'm not, I'm not living hoping one day God will save me. I, I recognize that right now, in this moment, I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with God's spirit. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Like, I am in the hand of God, and he says that nothing can take you out of my hand. Like, I'm secure with God. My salvation is something that the resurrection secured for me. If, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then like Paul said, we of all men are most miserable. But because Jesus is alive, man, I've got hope. I've got joy, even in the worst of circumstances, because I know and I understand that I'm saved, man. My salvation is secure. My eternity is secure. And even though this life may be brief and this life might sometimes be full of pain, for eternity I am with God and he will wipe away every tear. From my, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. My salvation is secure. So I'm not trying to get God to save me. I'm not trying to be good enough so he will save me. No, I've made sure that I'm saved by just saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And you rose from the dead. And he says, I'll save you. I'll save you. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to redeem yourself. You don't have to do enough good things for God to say, you know what? You lived a good life. You lived, you lived worthy of my salvation. No, you can be a thief hanging on a cross and at your last moment with your last breath say, hey, Will you receive me? And God will take you in that moment. He'll look you in your eye and he'll say, today is the day. You're going to be with me in paradise. I pray that we would have, listen, I'm all for saved politicians and all of that, but I think we need saved EMTs. We need saved doctors. We need people that are saved nurses, people that are saved in, after, in, in, in life in those care facilities with the elderly, people that are struggling, people that are on life support, people that are going. I, I just think because in those moments, who knows? What if we had a revival of people giving their life to God at their last breath? They might have lived their life in a way that didn't please God, but it doesn't matter to God if all you have to do is say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe that you have saved my life. He will receive you. He will accept you. And today, 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 you can be with him in paradise. It doesn't matter how you've lived your entire life up to this point. Today is the day of salvation. 
And God doesn't look at you and say, hey, man, if you just can pull it together, do enough good stuff and earn my salvation. No, he says, listen, all you got to do is open up your mouth and believe I am who I said I am and I'll save you. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how dark it's been, no matter how crazy your life circumstances are, I will save you. Is there anybody in the room that just wants to put your hands together and say, thank you, God, that you received me even in my darkest hour? You welcome me in. Woo! I love that about salvation. So I live from it, not for it. Hebrews 7 and 25 says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I love this idea, this picture that Jesus is always living to intercede for us. And the picture that God is painting for us here is not a picture that, that Jesus is up in heaven asking God to give you and I a second chance. He's not up there like begging God, like, listen, God, first of all, drink your coffee, take a chill pill. I know they did it again, but I'm just asking you for my sake, because you love me, you know, give them another chance. God, you know, I know you're really angry right now, but just look at me, just look at, just, just look at me. Don't look at, don't look at them, look at me. This, this idea, this picture that Jesus is like with, he's like holding God back. That's not the picture of Jesus forever living to make intercession. Jesus did that on the cross. He took all of God's wrath and all of his anger. It was poured out on Jesus. So when God looks at you, he, there's nothing for him to be to, to lose his cool over with you because Jesus took all of that. And so when Jesus is interceding for us, do you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying and he's saying, hey God, will you give them what belongs to me? Will you give them my inheritance? I know they messed up again, but will you give them what belongs to me? I hear a lot of people say, man, I just want, want, I just want what belongs to me. <laughs> no, you keep that. I don't want what well, I don't want what belongs to me. I want what belongs to Jesus. New Testament says that I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to me. That's all Jesus is saying to God. Give him what belongs to me. Because what I did because of the sacrifice that I paid, because I rose from the dead, give them what belongs to me. Is there anybody thankful today that what you have coming to you is not what belongs to you? but what belongs to Jesus? Because I don't want what's coming to me. I want what belongs to Jesus. Oh man, that's good news today. So I live from a place of salvation. So that means that I can approach God boldly. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In my home, there's a place that I sit, and it's, it's, it's not just my place. It's where everybody comes and they sit with me, beside me, on me, around me. It's where the kids know when dad's in that seat, that doesn't mean that it's off limits. Dad's like, he's sitting there and he's watching his sports, and you just have to leave dad alone. Like, give him his remote and his chair and back off. He's, he's crazy, like, when he's watching Final Four. He's crazy. Like, no, it's, it's not, that's not the picture in my house. When I sit, my kids know that that's, a, that's the place where they can come, they can sit, and they can talk to me, and we can talk about their day, we can talk about what they're going through. 
It's a place where they can, they can meet with me. Because it's hard to get what God wants to give you when you can't get close to him. It's hard to hear what your parents feel about you and what they think about you when you can't get close to them. So, so God invites us in. He says, come on in. And I want you to, I want you to come around my throne. This isn't, this isn't a picture of like, this place is off limits to you. You better watch your step. Don't touch. You know, when you go over to somebody's house and your parents have that talk before you go in, they're like, you touch anything. <laughs> right? That's not the idea. It's not like before you go in, Peter's like, hey, listen, when you go into the throne room, don't you, 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 <laughs> don't you scuff up Jesus's floor. Don't you touch any of the angels. Don't you, you just stay away. You just, you just look and you say, yes, God, yes, God. No, the picture is God's inviting you in. He says, hey, come, come close. My throne of grace is available for you to get the grace and the mercy you need to live the life that I've asked you to live. Jesus came to take away all of the religious structures that keep people away from God. Jesus removed every barrier between God and man. Everything that said I wasn't good enough, everything that said I didn't measure up, everything that said and everybody that said I wasn't worthy, Jesus came to remove all of that. And when the body of Jesus, which was so badly beaten that Isaiah said, when you looked at him, if you were to see him, he wouldn't even look like a human being to you. He didn't look like a man. He was so beaten by that whip that had bone and pieces of metal on it that as it hit the back of Jesus and listen to me, they didn't just hit his back. The Romans were savages. They, they would hit them in the head and there, there would have been flesh torn off of Jesus's face so much that many doctors say you probably would have seen his cheekbones. It's possible that his, his spine would have been exposed. And as Jesus is filleted open on his back and all across his body and then he goes to the cross and that spear goes into his side and the Bible says his, his body is opened up and blood and water pour out. And you see this picture and if you've seen the movies or whatever, you've seen the, the, the images of the blood and the water and all of that blood and all of that water and his body being open like that. It didn't just open up so that blood and water would pour out. It opened up so that you and I could get in. So that you and I could have access. Hebrews 10 and 20 says that by this new and living way, Jesus opened up for us through a curtain that is through his flesh. Because his body was, was, was beaten and opened like that, that means that you and I can come in. Because the blood and the water spilled out, you and I get to go in. So God is a promise keeper and that he opened up a new and living way. And listen to me. The promises of God are so powerful, but they're not only about you and your lifetime. God's promises are also for your lifeline. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, that's why it's so important today, if you're in this place, it's so important for you to make a decision to follow Jesus because when you make a decision to follow Jesus, it's not just a commitment you make. It's a commitment he makes. It's a covenant that he makes. And the Old Testament teaches that even when I am faithless, 
Have you ever been faithless in your walk with God? Any Christians in the room who would say, you've had times where you haven't believed, you haven't trusted, you've been faithless, but God has remained faithful? Even when I've been faithless, God remains faithful. See, because it's not, this whole thing doesn't hinge on my ability to keep my word. It's on his ability to keep his word. And when, he, when I make a commitment to him, he makes a commitment to me, not just to me, but he makes a commitment to my lifeline. He makes a commitment to those that are coming after me. Deuteronomy chapter seven and verse nine says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Come on, of those who have loved him and keep his commandments. Listen, when I make that decision to follow Jesus, God makes a decision to follow with me, to be with me and listen to me. That's why I don't have to worry what's gonna happen to my wife and my kids when I pass, to my grandkids, because God has kept his promise to a thousand generations, scripture says. That means that when I die, I don't have to worry about what's gonna happen to my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my great-great-grandkids and my great-great-great-great-grandkids. Because God says to me, this is, this is why I can approach death with confidence because I don't have to worry about what happens to the people I love after I'm gone. God's got me and he's got them. This is important for us to understand. Numbers 23 and 19 says this. It says, God is not a human that he should lie. He's not a human that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He says, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. Oh my God. If you just, if you would just believe that today. I, I, I. I, I, I desire more than anything that you would leave this place just confident in the fact that if God calls you blessed, nothing, no one, nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing anyone else can do, nothing anyone else can say, death can't change it, disease can't change it, suffering can't change it, issues can't change it, nothing can change it. God has already called you blessed and no one can undo the blessing of God. It doesn't matter how much you dislike me. God has blessed me. You cannot curse what God has blessed. You need to walk different. You need to talk different. You need to think different because you are the blessed of God. You have been, you have been deemed blessed by God and nothing anybody says, nothing anybody does. There's nothing that your enemies can do, nothing your critics can do to undo what God has already said and done in your life. He's already blessed you. He's already blessed you. Even when the accuser goes, did you see what they did? God says, they're already blessed. All I see is blessing. Did you see how they disobeyed? All I see is blessing. Did you see how they failed you? All I see is blessing. Did you see how they let you down? All I see is blessing. Did you see how they only came to church on Easter? All I do is say they're blessed. You're blessed, and you're probably sitting here today. Some of you are like dragged in by people, the guilt feelings of if I don't go on Easter, am I even a Christian? <laughs> like, like, like that feeling. Don't let the enemy curse you when God has already blessed you. There's, that's why I'm not afraid of witches. That's not why I'm, I'm not afraid of devils because you cannot curse what God has already blessed. Come on, somebody in this room. You ought to put your hands together today and be grateful that I'm blessed of God. 
You can't undo what God has already done. Jeremiah 1 and 12 says, then said Jehovah unto me. He says, I watch over my word to perform it. I watch over my word to perform it. This is amazing. Remember, not everything God promises you happens in your lifetime. It happens in your lifeline. And God watches over his word. If he said something to you, he will perform it. And he watches over it to perform it. He watches over it. Even when you think God isn't looking or paying attention, he's watching over it. Even if, even if your circumstances tell you that God isn't paying attention, God doesn't care, he's, he's not even listening, God is still watching over what he declared about you. In Genesis 3 and 15, God declares something. He says this, he says, he says to, to Eve, he says, I will put, and to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is a word that God spoke. And if God speaks it, he will perform it. Now, it took 42 generations for this word to come to pass. There are many Hebrews talks about those that died having not received the promise. They died believing, but they didn't, every, they didn't receive everything they believed for in this life. This word was one of those promises that they didn't see fulfilled in their lifetime, but it happened in their lifeline. We are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when, when, when God fulfills a promise to me, he fulfilled it to Abraham. When God does something in your children and your grandchildren, it's as if he did it for you. That's how he sees it. And it might take 42 generations for it to come to pass, but I promise you this, if God speaks a thing, he finishes a thing. He finishes what he starts. He will do it. He will be faithful to perform it, and he will watch over it until it happens. He'll watch over it. I love this. As Jesus is dying on the cross, you see that his mom is there and she's watching Jesus, and Jesus cries out, it is finished. You better believe that when Jesus said it is finished, Genesis 3 and 15 was a part of that finishing work that the son she had would bruise the enemy's head and he would bruise his heel. But I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a bruised heel than a bruised head. We, I think you know who won that day. So that word is being fulfilled as Jesus is saying it is finished 42 generations later, but that word is being fulfilled. And so much of life we can focus on how we got in this situation. Who put us here? Who put Jesus on the cross? Who, who, how, how, and, and so many people are like, they're looking at their lives thinking, man, if, by this point in my life, I thought I would be, but I'm here. And so we start to look around at all the people who we think are responsible for us being there. And we start to, we live our life with this focus over on, on who put us here, who's responsible for this, instead of with a focus, a resurrection focus. Romans 8 and 11 says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of me. And it will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So that means I should have an expectation as a follower of Jesus of resurrection. Listen to me. As a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter who put you in. You serve a God who gets you out. 
So don't let your focus be on who hurt you, who wronged you, who let you down, who disappointed you, who walked away. Let your focus be on the God who gets you out. Listen, people put Daniel in a lion's den. People took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and put them in a fiery furnace. People took Jesus and they put him on the cross. People took Jesus and they put him in the tomb. But the Bible teaches me that people didn't get Jesus out. That God raised Jesus from the dead. So you serve a God that it doesn't matter how many people put you in, how many people box you in, how many people talk negative about you, how many people criticize you. It doesn't matter what people do or say. You serve a God who knows how to get you out. Is there anybody who wants to just stand on your feet today and throw your hands up to heaven and give some honor to a God that no matter what you are going through, right now in this moment, you serve a God who knows how to get you out. Come on, we should praise him right now. He knows how to get you out. He knows how to set you free. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to rescue you. This is what he knows. This is what he knows. So, Father, in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, we just want to ask if there's anybody in this place who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, or maybe you're in here today and you feel at a distance from God, you feel disconnected from God, and the reason you're either in this room or you're watching me online right now is because you, you want to you be close to God. You want a relationship with God, but you don't know maybe where to start. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to approach that. And today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rededication. Today is that day where I say, God, because Jesus is alive, I can't remain neutral. So I make a decision to follow him. So if you're here and you've, you've decided to follow him before, but you feel like you're at a distance, you don't feel close, or you're here and you've never given your life, your heart, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air and all across this room, we're going to pray together and believe that the God who knows how to get you out of wherever you find yourself today is going to supernaturally encounter you change your life forever. Even if, even if you're just rededicating your life, he's going to change you forever. Today is a day that he, you, you will mark down in the history of your life. Today is a day that I decided to follow, to follow Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. If that's you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you. Whole row over here. I see you, I see you. Anybody else? I see you there. I see you all the way in the back. I see you there. Anybody in the lobby, we see you. See you over here. Come on, Calvary family and everybody that's visiting and everybody in this room, let's pray this prayer together. Let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for, for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of those who made that decision. Come on, how good is God? How awesome is God? He knows how to get you out. Habakkuk 2 and 3 says, though the vision tarries, it will come to pass. And if it delays, wait for it. 
because it will not delay. I love that because there's a difference in how we see delay and how God sees delay. I'm telling you, whatever God has promised you, wait for it. Trust him, believe him. He's a God who always keeps his word, amen? Amen, I love you. Thank you for being here today. If you raise your hand, please, we'd love to meet you. Our prayer team will be around front. We'd love to meet you and connect with you. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you soon.